Welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another edition of Bagoon's Barrage, the State of New England podcast with me, your host, as always, Jake Donnelly, a.k.a. Bagoon. Well, the last thing that I wrote on my website was about the top three biggest manufactured moments in all of sports, and it got a lot of play. So one of the guys that spoke out, a good buddy of mine by the name of Levy Chattanover, and he wanted to discuss that, among other things. So here's our call of the day. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I know I've been living in the sticks too long when I start to like country music. (laughs) Uh, What band did you hear? Uh, No, I mean, so I've been, uh, I've had a soft spot for Zach Brown band for a while. Yeah. Uh, But that's kind of evolved into like, there's a lot more of it that I can tolerate than I thought. Though the one thing that I have certainly noticed is... More often than not, it's individual songs more than it is bands or individual performers yeah, that but I tend to like. That's the same thing with t- any, uh, like any band, though. Any type of music, you can have that. There are some songs that kind of appeal to you more that happen to be on country stations, but especially like the last album, calling Zach Brown a country band is like calling David Ortiz a first baseman. I mean, it will, listen, Zach Brown Band's always been kind of wonky in that sense because they're also, they've been like a blend of like country, bluegrass, but then also like Jimmy Buffett Island music also. Right, it's Jimmy Buffett. It's a band that is Jimmy Buffett, which is a, he needs that. Yeah. There's nobody else they, that has stepped up. That's a good move they by them. Also, they also have some like legit country songs. Yes, like, they do. Like, for instance, I don't know if you've ever heard the song Colder Weather. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's wonderful. It's a gorgeous song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, incredibly soulful. Yep. There's also no way you could put it in any genre other than country. Absolutely. Like they, do, they do have some stuff that falls firmly in country. So, like, here's the thing, right? Like, I've probably heard 25 Jason Aldean songs now. Mm-hmm. I really love one. I like two, and I can live without the other 22. Yeah, pretty much. Zeke saw him when he was out uh, at Ohio Wesleyan for his freshman yep. year before he transferred to Trinity. He was out there when Jason Aldean had just one album out, and the first album yep. was Country. And he said yep. it was one of the greatest shows he has ever seen at like a smaller venue. And then the next album came out, and he was huge, and Zeke saw him live, I think maybe at the Meadows, and he was like, this is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah, I heard the Jason Aldean concert at the Meadows a few years back was literally abysmal. Yeah, it's like listening to some of the guys on the radio. There's no point in seeing them live. Yeah, like it wasn't Dave Chappelle at the the same venue, but it was pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, So, like, that's the other thing. Like, here's the thing, right? Comes to rock and roll. uh, When it comes to rock and roll, usually if I find a band I like. Even if there's a particular song I don't really like, I can usually, like, tolerate it, listen to it, and listen to the album straight through. Yep. Thus far, Jack Brown Band is the only quote-unquote country where I can listen end-to-end on an album. 
Right, and I'm saying that because there's not a lot of country to it. There's right, country songs that are spaced country, out. Exactly. Right. There are country songs spaced out by, like, they do have good blues, but then one of their songs that came out, like, last year was almost like EDM. It was so weird. I have no idea. I haven't been listening to country music and stations because it angers me. I'm like, Florida Georgia Line is not country. Calling Florida, Florida Georgia, Georgia Line, Line is terrible is what they are. Yep. So I listen to Eric Church. Like, if I'm listening to country, gotcha. I'm listening to Eric Church. That's about okay, it. Okay, so right here's the thing for me when it comes to country. Mm-hmm. So I can deal with... I can deal with country, but it's the country that tends towards the bluegrass and southern rock. Which like, is what it started out as. That's right, country. Like, I love Charlie Daniels. Man. Yep. Charlie Daniels band is the shit. You also love America. I also love America. Yes. Legend of Wooly Swamp is like one of my favorite songs ever. And like, but here's the other thing. I was on Charlie Daniels band and Leonard Skinner long before I was on Zach Brown band in any other country. Right. But you also believe what they're saying. I mean, with Legend of a, Wooly a Swamp. Right. With Legend of Wooly Swamp, when he's talking about the old man laughing after yeah. they've already died and the three guys are, yeah. uh, they've already been sucked into the quicksand, you believe that Charlie Daniels singing that is laughing just like the old man. Well, yeah, and then there's also the fact that, like, Devil Went Down to Georgia is an allegory about reconstruction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like... But this like, is where you're too intelligent. People. It's amazing. Like, I know liberals who are like, God, what a great song. I'm like, oh, oh boy. Oh, boy. I don't even want to have this conversation with you. Like, I mean, I agree with you. It's a great song, but we might disagree on that. (laughs) But that's the thing. Not a lot of people listen to the lyrics. Country gets bashed a lot for having the dumbest lyrics, but there are some of those songs where when you actually pay... very soulful. Right. When you actually pay attention, they're telling you... A, a really heart-pounding story. I agree. And, like, a really, like, personal tone to them. Mm-hmm. Like, the thing is, though, that I can't deal with twangy country. Right. Like, the whiny twangy country, I can't do it. Right. Like, so, I like, the Hank can't. Williams original. Not Bo is not Junior, but, like, Hank Williams waltzing around Texas kind of stuff. Yeah, I can deal with Hank Junior fine. Right. Mm-hmm. I can deal with Hank Jr. okay. Like, it's not my favorite, but I can deal with it. Um, But, like, all right, so I'll give you an example of someone who I dislike almost all their music, but then there's two songs that I'm like, these are catchy as hell. And it's also the difference between most of their music's not super upbeat. Oh, look at that. Can throw a little bass in this one, and I love it. You don't say. I'm sure you've heard of him at this point, Cole Swindell. Yes. Okay. So literally, like, 95% of the songs, I'm like, uh, I want to punch you in the dick. <laughs> and Flatliner comes on with Dan Bentley, and I'm like, see, you finally wrote a song that has some balls, and now I like it. Good job, guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of the thing. Like, it's what are the guys, when they are country stars, if they amp it up a little, does it make it better or worse? Like Luke Bryan, when exactly. he amps it up, he destroys country music from the inside out. <laughs> what a description. He's the godfather of what people call bro country. 
I'm like, oh, awesome. Really? My, that's my, him? Yes, that's him. Interesting. So it, you can trace a direct line from the loins and shimmy shake of Luke Bryan to the completely unemotional crooning of Florida Georgia Line. Interesting. Yeah, they're just terrible. Dude. Terrible. You know what the worst part is? <laughs> they, like, they dress as if like they're surfer punks from 96. Which I just want to punch them in the dick all the time. I hate them so much. <laughs> God, I hate those guys so much. Yeah, I, and <sighs> I don't understand. And here's the thing. They came out with Cruz, uh, what, like yep. 2012, maybe? The Is summer of 2012. Yeah, I think it's actually that old. Because I was in East wow. Texas when Cruz came out. Because wow. there were these two guys, the Marlowe brothers, who played for the University of Texas. They were on the East Texas Pump Jacks, um, the team I was broadcasting for. And one of them, Brooks Marlowe, who actually, he made waves. He was the guy that tweeted out something uh, fairly stupid in Texas. You can find him. Uh, Brooks Marlowe. Yeah, Brooks Marlowe tweet or something like that. I forget exactly what it was. But this was a guy that came out. His walk-up song, he would have a couple throughout the summer, but they were all George Strait. And they weren't like 2002 George Strait. They were like 1994 George Strait. Right? Sure. So Florida Georgia Line comes out with Cruz. And then after about eight months of this being like the top country, quote unquote, country song of the summer, they do that remake with Nelly. Which was actually somehow better than the terrible original and yet still bad. Right. So what he's going around, people are like, oh, why don't you do this as the walk-up song? He goes, George Strait is rolling over and is not yet grave. This is absolutely not something I will allow on a Texas baseball team. <laughs> Good for him. She's there with Aaron Boone. So uh, she's like the Aaron Boone, she's the John Smoltz kind gotcha. of thing. Right. I mean, you can't be much worse than Aaron Boone, so I guess I guess that's okay. Aaron Boone. <laughs> yeah, I hate him. Milton, you have three World Series since then. You shut up, you. It is true, but it was also against my favorite Red Sox pitcher of all time. All right, it sure was. Yeah, Wakefield. And what people forget about that postseason is that Wakefield was untouchable. He was the best pitcher for the Red Sox, and then he came in... And he had pitched an inning before, and the inning before, every single knuckleball was a roller. So you're just like, they have to score. The Red Sox have to score, or they're going to lose. So you could see it coming, and he just threw an awful knuckleball, and it was crushed. It wasn't like that's the other thing about the Aaron Boone home run. It was out by like 5,000 feet, maybe. I was going to say, dude, that's, and it didn't. Dude, it didn't just get out. It got out so quick and so hard. That's like the replays are. I turned off the TV, and it was me, a buddy, my mom, Zeke, all watching the um, game. I turned off the TV before the ball landed. Yeah, exactly. There, just, yeah. It was that bad. There was no. Yeah, uh, I just. I understand. <laughs> so. To rank them in order of most egregious. Manufactured do, moments, yes. Do you agree that Nikisha Sales was the most egregious, like the biggest affront to sports? Yeah, so step one, right, if you got to break it down, step one is she's 28 points behind. Like there were so many different things that had to come together for this moment 
to be manufactured, right? So step one is she's 28 points behind um, Carrie Boscom for most all time. She gets 20 at half. She's averaging 20.9 points per game. She's at 20 points at the half against Notre Dame. She scores seven points in the second half. Then her Achilles ruptures. Correct. So now you've got a couple of days between the Notre Dame game and Villanova. She's already back home with her mom post surgery. No, before she has the surgery. And as you said, like Oriyama had to talk to the Villanova coach. He had to talk to the Big East commissioner. Both of them had to be convinced by Oriyama. So those you are the know, first you know, two. Can I tell you what the worst part is? From everything I read, mm-hmm. no one even expressed a concern. No one else at any point in the chain of discussion was like, I don't know. And the coach was like, yup. Big East commissioner was like, yup. Everyone else was like, sure, go ahead. Who cares about the integrity of the game? Except for, except for whom? Which person? Everyone, Nikisha Sales' mother was Nikisha the only person Sales to mother. be like, oh, baby, you, you don't need to do that, honey. The, the, in my opinion, the only person that probably had a right to say it outside of Nikisha Sales. Like, in Nikisha um, Sales, like, uh, if you're I'm going to say no, because at this point, Nikisha Sales is 21 or 22 years old. It's on her. Like, she could have ultimately been like, no, coach, I don't feel right about this. Well, and that was but her I initial don't response. ultimately put it on her. Right. But then she acquiesced. And, and here's my thing. You as an athlete, me as an athlete. At what point, like, would right, you Jake, say yes? I got one for you. Okay. I got one for you. Okay. Because it's interesting that she scored 27 points. Right. That, that's a very interesting interesting number for her to have scored in her second to last game. That she was literally only one point off, but yeah. When I was in seventh grade, mm-hmm. uh, the school scoring record, and as much as I love your sister, I don't count her record. I count <laughs> Anne's wife's record. The school scoring record at Schechter was 27 in a game. Yeah. We were playing Rembrook. I had 26 points with two minutes left to go in the third quarter. And Rembrook was awful. We were up by 6,000 points. (laughs) Bemis sat me for the entire last 10 minutes of the game. Now... Was I a little bit butthurt about it because that record was mine? Mm-hmm. Guaranteed was mine. Yeah. Yes. I was a little bit butthurt about it. But Bemis's response to me was two things. Dude, we're up by a million. Shut the hell up and sit down. I'm Which not putting a... you back in this game. That's good coaching. Which is good coaching. Mm-hmm. And then with like four minutes left in the game, I started bitching a little bit. And he just looked at me and goes, Levy. You missed two free throws in this game. That's why you don't have the record. Shut up, sit down. Which is awesome. Which is awesome. I love Bemis forever. I would take a bullet for Bemis. I haven't seen the dude in like seven years. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, well, that record would have been mine if he hadn't been playing an inferior team. But the natural flow of the game, the correct coaching of that game dictated, sorry, That record's not yours to have, buddy. Right, and that might be why I put it three on my list, because it was the Mm. first thing I thought of. Because and it was so similar because it was so manufactured as opposed to Booker, who's he's at sixty, I think he was at like sixty-two points. 
before they just decided to get, let him take every single shot. And they were yeah, fouled. at that point, too, they had also lost the game. They're like, down. the game was over. It wasn't like they were like... Right, but come on, you're fouling down by, I think it was 11 or 13 in the final minute. It was double digits the entire final minute, and you're fouling to get the ball back to your team. Um, yeah, but with, like, the Devin Booker, they were completely manufacturing 70 points. Like, how come 70... Uh, okay, so he's one of six players now in NBA history to get to 70 points. And this is what Yeah, but really... we did it, like, 32 different times. Right. short. Right, and in the 100-point game, they were doing the same. Now, they were beating the crap out of the team they were playing. So, it's kind of the same thing. People forget well, that, but, like... What I, what I remember, I, I seem to have a memory, though. Like, somewhere along the line, like, some reporter or something told Will, scoring 100 is impossible, he can't score 100, no one can score 100. And Will was like, hey, everyone, hold my beer, watch this. Yes, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. They had like they had put the game on the calendar, like they had marked it, I should say, on the calendar for him to score a hundred. Like it was something yeah, they were, they were thinking like, of. This is the game. If right. he's gonna do it, it's this game. From the tip off, yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, like, go ahead. Here's the difference, though, right? At that point in time, you could make a legitimate argument that their best offensive game plan was let Will take every shot. Yes. So while it was manufactured, it was also like a justifiable approach to gamesmanship anyway. Yes, it was. That was their offense. Right. So it's like, yeah, did we manufacture this? Sure, but was it within the purview and scope of our normal offense? Yes, it was. This is what we do here, guys. Right, and why wouldn't you? It, 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 he's the guy that came up. And the thing that a lot of people forget is he was like a, what, 51% career free throw shooter? Yeah, he was Shaquille O'Neal. Right, and I think he was like 28 for 32 in that game from the line. Um, I think it was more like 28 for 36 or 38, but yeah, I think he made 25, 30 free throws. Yeah, so like he had his best game ever from the free throw line. And he shot, he took like 63 shots. I think he, I think he shot better than 50% from the field for the game. And he shot like 90% from the free throw line in the game. I mean, here's the thing. Yeah, yeah, 36, 36 for 63 from the field, 28 of 32 from the line. Oh, it was 28 of 32. All right. Yeah. So, all right, here's the thing, though. Do you agree with me? Because there are a handful of guys in the NBA right now that if their teammates were like, you know what, shoot it 80 times tonight, they could score 100 points. Six. I think there are three or four guys. <laughs> I, I, I don't think you're far off. Um, in the entire NBA, everybody wants to shoot. They're all ballers. That's why they're in the NBA. Right. And one of them is I mean, on the Chicago Bulls and barely plays, and his name is Rayshon Rondo. <laughs> you hate Rondo, huh? I actually love Rondo. I really do. It's just he really? would—he doesn't like shooting. It's like Ricky Rubio. Well, he'd rather pass. Do you think he said he doesn't like shooting? Uh, Rubio can actually shoot. Rondo's a terrible shooter. Yes. Like, so here's the thing. I—it's—I'm normally very forgiving of flaws in past first point guards because past past first point guards are going the way of the dinosaur. Yes, Marcus Smart, my main man. My favorite NBA player right now. Who was it you said? Marcus Smart. (laughs) 
zero <laughs> offensive. Go that far. <laughs> zero offensive skill except for when down in the post takes about a charge a game comes up with some of the best steals and will dive on the floor for loose change, much less a loose basketball. So, all right, so here's an interesting one. In your life, when were you born? 87? Seven, yep. Um, all right, so since Magic and Bird retired, mm-hmm. Who's the best point guard in your lifetime, in your opinion? Not counting magic, because that's the, that's the cop-out answer. Yeah, that was kind of what I was going for. Um, overall? If I said... Easy. John Stockton. Guard, oh, John Stockton. Okay. Now, if I said... Mm-hmm. So, I agree with you that it's Stockton. Mm-hmm. But what if I said now... There are going to be games where the point guard may need to score 30 for us to win. Yeah, Not all the time, but if we need a guy who can at least get there, if we need him to. Yep, now Isaiah Thomas. Now out of the running. Okay. Um, so now that we've removed, right, no point guards that were on the dream team. Who's the best point guard since then? Uh, Paul? I don't know. Like, this is the thing. I'm going back and forth with this in my head because there is not one point guard without a wart. And it's really like, pick your poison on the wart, right? Mm-hmm. Steve, Steve Nash, offensively, is one of the most gifted point guards maybe ever. Literally couldn't guard you, Jake. Could right. not guard anybody. And Jason right? Kidd didn't have a shot for the first half of I- his career. I was just going to say, until he turns 33, right. it was amazing, by the way. For 12 years, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. For the last five years, give it to Jason. All the time, too. It, it was, was crazy. so good. It was crazy. The performance he put on in the finals, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Jason Terry teach this dude how to shoot? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, so, right. Nash couldn't play defense, right? Gary, Gary Payton, Payton couldn't right. need a jump shot. I was about to say, Gary was, Payton's got to be up there, but he couldn't really... Uh, he had Sean Kemp. Like that's why Gary Payton could be who he was, is because he had Sean Kemp. Well, I will say this: only guy to keep Jordan under fifty percent from the field in the finals yeah. in his entire career. Because Gary Payton um, was a freak. Yeah, I would say best on the ball defender probably in our league. Yep. Right. You know what I mean. So yes. you've got that. Then you've got like you've got a handful of other guys too over the years that have been. Absolutely spectacular, but no one's wart free. So, like, I feel like finding a stud point guard is super difficult. So, like, I'm willing, like I said, to forgive some warts in past first point guards. You know what I mean? Just because, yeah. I don't know, I think basketball plays better when you've got a point guard running the offense. Yeah, well, I mean, the Celtics are now the number one. The Celtics are the number one team in the East. Their starting lineup is Isaiah Thomas as a shoot-first point guard, more so than pretty much anybody else. And then their end-of-the-game lineup has Marcus Smart as the pass-first point guard, and Isaiah Thomas is a shooting guard. So you know who you're going to draft first overall, right? If you get the number one for basketball. Yeah. Yeah, I'm taking a six-seven point guard. You're taking you're taking my guy. Yeah, I'm sure. taking right. I'm taking Lonzo Ball, but is Without he? question. He's six seven. How do you guard that? If he's you your point guard, right? 
Because he's going to mess up the other team's defensive rotation, especially in a I mean, pace and space style now. And, and you can get him down on the block. In our lifetime, there has been one point guard you could compare to Lonzo. But I think Lonzo has an even higher ceiling than this dude had. Greek Freak. Who? Do you count um, Giannis? Oh, no. I was going to go with Penny. Anthony Hardaway would be my closest Oh, comparison. actually, that's a really good comparison. Have I not yeah. been paying attention, or have people just not made that comparison? No one has made the comparison. It's really weird that, that I haven't heard anyone. I, I've, heard, I've heard the comparison made with Jason Kidd a lot, and I kind of half wonder if that because they're both light-skinned. Like, I honestly have the thought, like, are you really not comparing him to dark-skinned point guards? Like, I don't understand. That happens a lot, though. Give him, I, don't, I don't like right. Bill Simmons, but he has this thing where he kind of goes out of his way to – like, not yes. look at the color of a dude's skin when doing the comparisons, and all of a sudden, like you just did, he can find him much better. I mean, what was Penny? Penny was 6'7", too, wasn't he? Exactly. And Penny won games against playoff Michael Jordan by himself. Yes. Now, there was a difference, though. Lonzo Ball has significantly worse shooting form, form. but significantly more shooting range. But that's the thing. I don't... So this is what I hate about cookie cutter. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal last week or two weeks ago that talked about the rise of independent hitting instructors. Because everybody has been taught for the past 20 years growing up, swing down on the ball, swing down, get back, spin. Yeah, chop wood. Yeah, right. sure. They're changing that. Ch- independent hitting instructors, just like Ted Williams, was like, no, you want to swing. You want to get a slight uppercut and get that ball up in the air. It's a lot easier to field a ground ball than it is a line drive. And so, like, and that's what I, because I used to have a slight uppercut well, swing, and I would dominate. You understand where that change is coming from, right? That, like, yeah. where the real impetus for that change is? Like, I identified it a while ago. It, it's for money ball. It's actually money ball that's doing this. And if you'd like me to explain how. It's no, I understand pretty, that, guys. That pretty would, clear line. Right. Three run home runs, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, look, the theory used to be in baseball, as you well know, like the old wisdom was better to put the ball in play. Good things can happen when you put the ball in play. Mm-hmm. The wisdom now is better to never ground into a double play under any goddamn circumstances. <laughs> never swing at the first pitch under any circumstances. And, oh, yeah, better to fly out and never advance a runner to get a few more home runs and to never risk a double play. Like, it's like literally people are being taught don't put the ball in play. Yeah. Don't put the ball in play. Don't run into outs. The thing that I really like, though, so everybody stopped base running pretty much. People stopped stealing. They stopped base running. Now, though, you've got these freaks that can hit the ball 550 feet, like Mike Trout or Aaron Goldschmidt. Oh. Goldschmidt is like 6'4". Paul oh, Goldschmidt. Uh, sorry, I said Aaron Paul. Um, yeah, sorry. He's hey, got... Yeah, I went one... Right. I went from a Jewish... Yeah. I went from a Gentile name instead of a Jewish name. Um, exactly. But he, he's got the best raw power in Major League Baseball, and yet he whoa, can still whoa, steal. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you saying Goldschmidt has the most raw power? As opposed to what? You want to say Rizzo or Bryant? No. I mean, raw power, there's only one guy, but he's not on the same level in terms of being a complete player to those other guys. Who are you saying? 
Oh, I mean, it's Stanton. He's fucking Giancarlo. Oh, Stanton oh, has oh. the most raw power. Like, he can fucking hit the ball 900 feet. Now, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Bases loaded, two outs. I'd rather have any of the other guys you just mentioned <laughs> up than that. Which is ironic because of the exact thing you said, whereas they're taught to not even put right. the ball in play sometimes. Yeah. Like, this is the thing. I honestly feel like if I could have taught Giancarlo Stanton how to hit from a kid, mm-hmm. then he'd be hitting 292, and his slugging percentage would be 620, and he'd be lining balls into the gap, and then occasionally just hitting them hard enough to Vlad Guerrero them over the fence. Yep, but that doesn't get you off the island. Nope. And nope. it is but awesome to watch Apparently it gets you a $200 million contract now. Which is kind of deserved. <laughs> It's kind of crazy how much money they're paying Stanley. And yeah. the fact that they have, like, a fire sale of everyone else on the team at the same time. Yep. I'm like, I really want to, like, you guys know it's not basketball, right? Like, you can't just have one LeBron James. There's nine guys on the field that have to play both ways. And a brand new stadium. Oh, yeah, that's never getting paid for. Nope, ever. No, no, no. <laughs> never, ever, ever. Oh, wait. Hey, yeah. That think you're an actual conservative, that you are with me, and that what the Raiders are doing is bullshit, and what the Chargers just did is bullshit. Yeah, and absolutely. All of this nonsense, public financing of stadiums is bullshit. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's fucking bullshit, dude. Infuriating. If you're an owner, absolutely. Like it's the dumbest thing in the world. Do you know that the Chargers are going to be playing this year's games? In a fucking MLS stadium that holds like 12,500 people? Uh, the Oakland Raiders are now the Las Vegas Raiders, except for the fact that the Oakland Raiders are going to play in Oakland for the next two years and then probably in San Francisco in 2019 before they become the Las Vegas Raiders. So, so you're literally you're that, cheering yeah. on your girlfriend while she's banging the postman. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it's, like, first off, no one's coming to these games for the next two years. No. No one's coming to these games for the next two years. Um, if the Raiders fans really wanted to send a message, they would all wear Niners gear to all the games moving forward. Yeah, but it'd be like me wearing a Yankees jersey. That's the problem with that. You know what? I got a feeling that if the Red Sox told you we're moving to fucking New Orleans, <laughs> you would have no problem trolling the Red Sox. Yes, that is actually a very good point. Very much so. Think about all the fan bases in all of America. Any of them more psychotic than Raiders fans for the Raiders? No, which is why I'm really looking forward to that last game. Because remember, um, there were always the stories about how the Cleveland Browns fans, they tore down the stadium in the final home game. They are ripped seats out and fucking took them with them. Right. They're fairly psychotic as a fan base, probably in the top 10. But it's kind of like when it comes to fan bases and how psychotic they are, it's like the UConn women's basketball team and then the rest of the field. There's the Raiders fans, and then there's two, three, four, five. But you have to take a ferry and then an airplane to go from spot number one with the Raiders to number two, three, four, five. 
You then also need to take a hot air balloon to a way station and then a rocket ship to the moon. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I can't wait for that final home game. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> it, it's going to be absolutely epic and fucking bananas for sure. Um, okay, so we got off topic. Uh, all right, so number one is sales, right? If you're talking about like manufactured, it's sales because it took so many people coming together. It took a mom saying no, Oriyama convincing sales and the mom to do it because it was his way of saying thanks, which doesn't make any sense to me at all, even to this day. And she still I wishes actually, she oh, did do it. I get it. It wasn't for her. It was for the program, right. and that is how I think he sold it. No one's ever heard of you about to pass. You are currently the best player in the history of this program. Because you have to remember, like, sales was before, if I'm not mistaken, like, she was before Sue Bird, and she, she was before uh, Tarazi, and she, she was. was before, you know what I mean, Maya Moore. Right. Like, she, she was before... Arguably the three best players in the program's history. Right. She was the precursor. Exactly. Right. And she was right after um, she was. So the perfect season was 95. Right. So she was after Rosati, Lobo, and Walters. And if you remember, they were not yet consistently winning the recruiting war against Tennessee by any stretch of the imagination. If anything, that was a moment in time where Pat Summit fucking kicked her game into overdrive. Right. And that's why they so, battled so much. Right, but I also think that Oriemo was like, man, we could really use a nice attention-grabbing headline with the name recognition. Mm, this is an easy thing, and I was counting on it anyway. Better manufacture it. And not only that, think about this now. How can you describe that move by Oriyama? You can describe that move as a coach that is willing to do whatever he wants for his players because he cares about his players so much. And we're also talking about women's basketball, so I imagine that sentiment plays even better with the lady folks. Yeah. Compare that to now how Oriyama is thought of as a guy who doesn't care at all about anything except for his players. It kind of makes sense. Like that's it works. true. Like that's exactly that true. Right. So that's he's been doing it now for twenty plus years. And that might be like the first thing you can point to where he told his players, Look, it's all about you. People might think it's about me, and I might be getting the one getting the headlines and kind of manufacturing the headlines, but when it's all said and done, I'm gonna make you and put you at the top of the leaderboards and everybody will remember your name as women basketball players, which is something that never happened before Oriyama. Now, I will also say this. I am of the opinion that Oriyama is both overrated as a coach and underpaid at the same time. Now, as a... Okay. Um, a lot of his coaching, though, has to... It, it's like the uh, Joe Madden. A lot of his coaching acumen and why he's so good comes from his ability to coax the most out of his players. So this is also... Yes. So I agree with you, but the fact of the matter is, it becomes much easier to coach the most out of your players when you have the best recruiting class in the country for five, six, seven, eight, eight years, so that you can then build up a system where the incoming freshman 
have to practice these scrimmage against the best players in the whole country, which leads to after those seven or eight years, we don't even need to recruit five stars anymore. I'm not even going to bother recruiting the top five players in the country. I'm just going to wait for the girls on the ESPN 100 list to contact me, and the ones that fit the system, I'll offer them scholarships, and we'll coach them up because they're going to have to practice for three years with the best players in the country. And not only does he get that going for him, and you said the practicing, he practices, they practice against the best female players in the country, and they also practice against, right, they practice against some of the best men in the state of Connecticut, and somehow he convinces those women to come to stores slash Mansfield, Connecticut, which has more cows per capita than Suffield does, and that's saying something. And there's nothing. There's two bars. There's two college bars in stores. How, yeah, there's he, nothing there. how he gets people to go to UConn and how Calhoun did is beyond me. How did Calhoun get an Israeli to come to <laughs> to come to stores, Connecticut? Like that oh, makes no one, sense. Not one, two. Not mm-hmm. one, two. Deron Sheffer and the Dodd NFL. Yeah. And, but and, yeah. and I think that's what the problem right now is with Kevin Ollie is that he can't do that. He's not getting these good recruits. He got he's getting transfers. He's getting the graduate transfers, but he can't get the guys to stay for four years. He's not even getting the one two year guys like Rudy Gay. Okay, let me ask you. You're you're an ESPN. Let's call it three hundred recruit, right? Yep. yep. Other than the award of possibly getting some quick playing time. Why would you choose to go to UConn at this point? I've never understood it, ever, at any point. Oh, no, no, no. There was a point at which I understood it. When Calhoun was coach, I'm going to UConn because I'm going to get coached into an NBA player. I'm going to get picked in the first round, and I'm going to have a chance to uh, to go ahead and win a national championship. It's true. And, hey, as we're talking, UConn freshman forward Vance Jackson, eight points per game, four rebounds per game, plans to transfer. Number 78 in 2016 ESPN uh, Top 100. Kevin Ali is not a good basketball coach. I think he's a good coach. I just think he's a horrific uh, recruiter. I I don't actually think he's particularly amazing with these All right. Yes. The Calvin thing doesn't bother me at all. Uh, I just, I the, actually, the thing that bothered me about it was afterwards, BK Kim, through a translator, uh, was like, oh, yeah, I totally served that up. Like, dude, shut up. Let us have the moment. We know you threw it. You're a guy who every single one of his pitches darts about. Eight inches, yeah, exactly. exactly. Nine you, inches of movement. You threw a beautiful two-seamer that only tailed towards the middle of the plate. And it started off outer half as opposed to your normal two feet outside the strike zone. It tails at 92 miles an hour, about two inches below the bell, right right down the pipe. And it was smart. It was awesome. The reason it doesn't bother me is what I laid out online. It's not a real game. Right. Oh, it's not a bad thing. I'm just saying. Right. Not necessarily a bad thing. It's just definitely manufactured is all I was saying. You know, I think we missed one. A big one on the list that we're really talking about most manufactured sporting yeah. events. What up? Uh, I think we missed the Black Sox scandal. We can't them all. Well, but... 
I don't count that because um, Comiskey was so bad. <laughs> okay, fine. Anybody in that scenario would have taken the crime no money. Absolutely. No, yeah, Absolutely. Like, he was strong-arming his own players. <laughs> they didn't get extra, like, yeah, of course, anybody would do it. And that's when they were essentially indentured servants. There's no free agency. There's nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. And then the guy that everybody remembers, Joe Jackson, never even took the money. Okay, and hit, like, 387 in the World Series. Yep, and Kennesaw Mountain Landis decides, oh, yeah, no, him too. Yeah, there were, he was just like, no, no. Sorry. Starting, he knew them. Right, right. Starting uh, a wonderful tradition that has made its way cross sports to football all the way to <laughs> Roger Goodell. Yep. Completely just without fact judgments that make no sense in reality and that nobody can argue against. Judge, well, jury, executioner. That's what you get for signing a bad labor contract. Absolutely. And yet, ironically, now... What sport has the best players union? Baseball. Baseball. <laughs> so do you like the number one, the Michael Strahan? So, all right. The thing with the Strahan thing is I uh, I I don't I don't like that it happened. I'm annoyed about it. Like, I did not like it. I was extremely annoyed when it happened. Mm -hmm. However, legitimately, there were probably no more than three people involved in the whole setup and thing. The reason that I think, right, quarterback, uh, left tackle, Michael Strahan. Right. Because and even honestly, his rush. It could have just been, and it could have been two. It could have just been far and straight. Because that rush that he had would have taken him out of any pass rushing lane. Right. So it's like, I don't even know if the tackle knew it was up. Like, he was in his normal position. And he's like, well, it was a run play. It was a run play to the other. From... Right. It was a run play to the other side. And then he just moved like, into the sack. Yeah. Brett Favre, at the end of, like, 16 years at Green Bay, all of a sudden, in the final week of the season... Calls out the wrong play? Yeah, in your bra. <laughs> and, like, here's the thing. At the time, I also still loved first. Yes. And now everybody um, loves him again because of that viral video last week. What happened last week? I didn't see it. He was like, throwing to high schoolers or college guys, and it's a, from right behind Favre. It's like someone took one of those jugs machines, implanted it into the dude's arm. He is firing. You've got to look it up. It's just cannon after. Oh, Farm was just throwing BBs. It beat oh, lasers, rail guns. It was gotcha. that impressive. It was. You're like, oh, so that's what it looks like to try to catch an NFL pass. Oh, dude. Well, Brett Farm also threw. I mean, Farm Marino. Maybe Ellie goes in that conversation yeah. too. Like, those guys do the ball too fucking hard. Yeah. Like, receivers are like, I don't know. I don't think I like this very much. Yeah. Uh, I think the, I forget, I think it was Mark Clayton, maybe. Maybe, I forget who said it, but someone said, uh, what's it like trying to catch a ball from Marino? He goes, well, the guy can throw a football through a hurricane. Through so. a hurricane. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
and have it not veer off course. So, yeah, no, I'm looking at that. I'm like, I have some of the best hands in terms of, I mean, I was a baseball catcher and I never really dropped a pass ever in football. I look at those videos and go, I don't want that. I don't want a piece of that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm good. But okay, so with the stray hand, right? So you said there's only three people involved, if that, two. Do you know how many people have ever had 20 plus sacks in a season? Uh, how many different times it's happened or how many different individuals? How many different times it's happened? How many times it's happened is, I want to say, four to six. Okay. Maybe, I'm going to go, I'm going to say, all right, we got Strahan, Gastineau, mm-hmm. we've got J.J. Watt twice, yep. three times? Twice. We've got, ooh, Reggie White got there one year at 20 and a half, I believe. Reggie White is 21, even. 21, I knew he was around there. In 87. Oddly enough, I don't think Bruce Smith ever cracked 20 in a year. Nope, the first Smith on the list is Derek Alden Thomas Smith. Derek did. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Derek Thomas did crack 20. Just got to 20 in 1990. Once, though. Yep, in 1990. Yep, he cracked 16 a bunch of times, but I only cracked 20 yes. once. Yes. So what are we up to? That's like seven or eight different times, maybe? Yep, mm-hmm. Okay. So, yes, I have a pretty good notion of how many times it's happened. Right. So, there's 11 guys. Now, Strahan's got the record at 22 and a half, right? So, this is why when I was looking this up, I'm like, I know Strahan has the record, but I feel like a bunch of guys got really close. And this is why I really dislike dislike the record because Strahan's sack is a full sack. So, he should be at 21 and a half, right? If he did not get that sack... The three different people share the single season sack record. Yeah, one of them is Mark Gastineau. Right, Mark Gastineau, who's the record he broke. The next guy to get the 22 was Jared Allen in 2011. Huh. Yeah, right? That's I right. He totally, got to the quarterback a lot for a few years. Totally forgot about that. Justin Houston did. He got to 22. Right, he's at 22. So there's three different guys that should be ahead of Michael Strahan for the single season sack record. And then there's Reggie okay. White in 87. So, I will also, okay, continue. And I'll tell you why it also doesn't bother me that much in historical context. Okay, Chris Dolman uh, for the Vikings, a lot of Vikings, uh, 21. J.J. Watt it was at 20 and a half twice in 12 and 14. Lawrence Taylor in 86, which is the like least surprising thing in the world. And then Demarcus Ware and Derek Thomas had 20 where in 2008 and Thomas in 1990. And that's it. Okay. Oh, Jesus. Demarcus Ware also had 19 and a half. (laughs) Say again? Demarcus Ware had 20 sacks in one season and 19 and a half in another. Oh, yeah. Demarcus Ware's going in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. uh, Freak. Yeah, yeah, absolute monster. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so here's the thing. couple of things and reasons it doesn't kill me in historical context. Okay. One reason it does not kill me in historical context is do you know when they even started recording sacks as a stat? Right, 84. Okay. It is almost a certainty that Demon Deacon Jones put up more than 22 and a half in it. Multiple different times. So it's like a fake milestone kind of thing. Not only that, he probably put up more than 22 and a half 
And he was only playing 14 game seasons. Yeah, that's actually really 83, not 84. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a yeah really I knew good it was point. around there. I knew yeah. it was around there. You know what it was? It was like Marino, Elway, and Kelly got drafted. They were like, we need a statistic we can keep track of for how often we hit these three. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good point. <laughs> pretty funny that it coincides so perfectly with the best quarterback draft class in history. Yeah, we need to see how much they're hitting. And, of course, that was still before the late hit, which is awesome. Correct. They were getting their asses handed to them. <laughs> Here's the other reason it doesn't bother me all that much. Mm-hmm. With the number of dropbacks that quarterbacks are taking in a season now, Somebody's... I have the utmost confidence that someone will break straight hands record. And if that happens, then I'm good. I'm just annoyed exactly. that right now because you don't he even... He has a fake-ass record. Right. Because it's, oh, who's the single-season sack record? It's Michael Strahan. And okay. you know as well as I do, a lot of dumbasses won't, they will never have heard of Demon Deacon Jones. So okay. they won't but even let think let me ask that. you this. Yeah. What, what sounds more like a thing that should exist? Michael Strahan is the single-season sack leader of all time. Mm-hmm. Or Mark Gastineau is the single-season sack leader of all time. Hey, I, okay, but this that's like the cool thing, and this is why I love sports and stats like that. Gastineau yeah. had the 22 in 1984. The year before that, he had 19. So in two seasons, he put up right. 41 sacks. That's J.J. Watt shit. Right, and Watt didn't have it in between because Watt, as much as I think of him as Cyborg, is also constantly hurt. Okay, so here's the other reason that record doesn't bother me. Like, the only reason that record doesn't bother me also, as much as maybe it might, mm-hmm. is I don't know one fucking person, one single person, who actually believes Michael Strahan the best pass rusher of all time. Okay, right, right. So, I don't even know a Giants fan that would look you in the eye and say Strahan was better than J.K. Okay, who's your best pass rusher of all time outside of Deacon Jones? Best pass rusher of all time. Are we talking down lineman or linebacker? Or just down lineman, down lineman, down lineman. I mean, because Lawrence Taylor doesn't count. I mean, it's JJ Watt. Do you have him as a pass rusher better than Reggie White? JJ Watt, on his best day, is the best defensive lineman in NFL history. Now. Not J.J. Watt as his career, because I'd rather have a guy I can plug in for 16 games a year for 15 straight years. Okay. Right? Right. right. I'd rather have Bruce Smith or Reggie White. Yeah. Um, and they had to change I mean? the like, rules to stop Reggie White's club move. And I always I love guys that are that effective that you have to change the rule book. So Shout out, there Kyle. you go. Demon Deacon Jones came from an era where the club was still legal. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of things like that. But on his best day, on his best day, I'm going to say J.J. Watt is one of the five best football players in the history of the game. Now, understand when I say that, I'm not counting any quarterback. It's impossible. Quarterback is its own thing. You can't do that with football. Say again? I agree with you completely. When you talk about best players in football history, you can't talk about quarterback. It's its own thing. There's nothing like it in sports. Correct. So, like, I'm not saying that if I have to start a franchise with all players in the history of football, no, J.J. Watt would not be my first pick. He wouldn't be. Right? 
DJ Watt would not be my first pick. Right. But I'm saying there are certain guys in the history of the game that have done so many things at such an unreal high level. Like, to me, Bo Jackson was probably pound for pound the best dude to ever fucking throw on the helmet. Yes, easy. Right. You couldn't game Charles plan for Charles Woodson and Deion Sanders go on that list for me, too. Because it cuts down half the field. Exactly. Which is why and I also... They could, and they were both elite kick returners as well. Right. And I like Lawrence Taylor because you just didn't score. Like, if right. you look so, at I mean, it, he shut down exactly. Joe Montana. He made Joe Montana look like a pansy in the playoffs. Yep. In Candlestick. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Now, that all being said, at his absolute best, there is literally no lineman in the history of the league that can block J.J. Watt when J.J. Watt is at 100% playing his best. Right. One Not on even one. Jonathan Ogden. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Nobody can block J.J. Watt. He has fucking pterodactyl arm wingspan. He weighs 290 and runs a fucking 468. All he can block and it's impossible. And has the stamina of a freight train. Yeah, it's impossible. You can't block him. Right, because right? He, like, you, you get tired before he does. But like, you literally have to have a tackle, you have to chip him with the tight end, and you have to let a running back stay into double team. Yeah, you've got he three guys. You literally have to touch him with three different sets of hands if you want to keep him out of the backfield. And that's that's contain. That's not stop. It's contain him. Correct. Also, if Derek Thomas hadn't fucking died in a car accident, he probably would have the record by himself at 49. Yeah, that's true. And he dude, was right, he was right in his prime. On, oh, dude, how about this? So you know how we always talk about football? We talk about the mic. Identify the mic. Who's the mic? Where's the mic? Oh, you leave a position that Kansas City invented in football for Derek Thomas. <laughs> you mean that position? He, but... Lawrence Taylor changed the way people pay offensive linemen, okay? Um, uh, Bill Walsh changed the way people throw passes. Fucking uh, Bill Belichick changed the way that you can literally change your entire offense and defense literally every week if you feel like it. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, certain guys have done certain things, right? Um, How many have created a position? Exactly. How many times has there really been football? Oh shit, we need someone to do with this. Oh geez, we gotta we gotta make a whole new fucking position for this guy. Uh, That's why I don't. There's a new yeah. That's why I don't think Paul Malu gets enough credit for his robber safety position. I actually agree with you. I find Paul Malu to be criminally underrated. Yeah. Especially because. There are other players in his mold. Like, Mark Barron was a first-round pick. That fucking dude doesn't have a job in the NFL if Paul Mahler doesn't do it so good for the first 12 years. Mm-hmm. Like, shit. Um, yeah, no, Paul Mahler, the way he played the safety position, was unreal. Yeah. I mean, really unreal. Um, he was allowed to do whatever he wanted. <laughs> Based on what the offense showed pre-snap, he could come up, play the rush, one that he didn't even know if it was a running play yet, or he could drop back, be a linebacker, or be a safety. Like it was, it was that nobody else has done that. You know, the other thing that I notice when you talk to people who really know sports, it's a certain kind of nuance that they can see that other people can't see, right? Mm-hmm. Like we were talking before about who's the best point guard ever, right? Right. But if I told 
right? That here are the four guys on the team, right? And then I'm going to say, pick a point guard, right? Yeah. Any point guard in the history of the game. But the guys you have on your team are Jordan, LeBron, Elijah, and fucking Bill Russell. There's no chance you would ever choose a shoot first point guard. Right. Right. But let's say someone thinks Russell Westbrook is the best point guard in the NBA, period. And I'm like, all right, cool. Here's the rest of his team. And I rattle off four shooters. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, Westbrook. I'm going to be like, oh, no. Well, oh, no. Why do you think Get Kevin that. Durant is in Golden State? Well, because he's a bitch. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Specifically Golden State, yes, your answer is correct. <laughs> Why isn't he in Oklahoma State? I answered the question I was asked. Yes, sorry. That is the question that should have been asked is... Why he left okay. Why isn't he in Oklahoma City? Yes. Because Russell Westbrook is a pain in the ass. <laughs> I, I don't understand why he's like... He gets credit for all of a sudden putting up triple-double season. But he's the he's the reason why there's nobody else helping him. I, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills when it comes to Russell Westbrook. I, I don't understand this. I'm like, okay, so again, okay, we talked about the I I put the article out the the top three most manufactured moments in sports. This Russell Westbrook season is the most manufactured season outside of steroid era everything for baseball. But this. This season so, okay, is the most manufactured right. season. There's nothing else there. But, all right, all right, all right, fine. By that logic, though, and mm-hmm. if this logic holds true for you, then that is fine. You know what I mean? I won't, I won't. Right, I have I to be intellectually honest. Agree, but, yeah, exactly. As long as, you're, as long as you're intellectually consistent, then I don't care so much about the actual intellect. Mm-hmm. Um, Oscar Robertson's numbers. Are those manufactured post Kareem because he didn't have anyone on the team? Yeah. Like. Yes. But, but why? <laughs> Isn't that just the natural flow of sports that like guys come and go? No. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. 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 Yes, that is the natural flow. But there is a certain flow, and this is gonna. Okay, no, I'm not going to use the thing I was going to say. But with Oscar Robinson, all the talk was about how surly he was and how annoying he was to play with, right? It's eerily similar. We're gonna have a guy average a triple-double for the first time since Oscar Robinson. Something that is, you can compare the two of them, they're impossible to play with. And they sent somebody that was probably better than them away from their team because he didn't want to deal with him. Like it is almost the same situation. And Oscar Robertson's- Oh, okay. So here we go, though. We may have a strong difference in opinion on something. Okay. Okay. You can have KD or you can have Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Who would you rather have? I'd rather have KD. Because right. I don't... And I would rather have Russell Westbrook. Right, because I don't need... If I have KD, my other players don't need to be as good. See, that's interesting. And I feel like if I have KD, we don't need to play at all because we're just never going to win a championship. I don't think we're winning a championship with Russell Westbrook unless we do it every fourth year with completely different players. It's like Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, everybody that came to him, he made better. 
And everyone that came there, he okay. Now here's a question though that I've always had surrounding that. Mm-hmm. But you can did only take them for four actually, years. Did he actually make them better, or was it simply the amount of defensive attention paid to him that allowed them to look better? And and the distinction I draw is this, okay? LeBron actually elevates the level of play around him. Magic Johnson actually elevated the level of play around him. Jordan didn't make so-so guys look incredible through him setting them up. They looked incredible because B.J. Armstrong, who was my fucking height, never had anyone covering him so he could shoot threes. Uh, I would say two points to that. Look at yesterday's game for the Cavaliers against the San Antonio Spurs. All they do is stand around. I don't think LeBron actually ever makes people better. I think it is more of the scenario that you're saying with uh, Michael Jordan, that, guys, there's too much attention for LeBron, so everybody else can kind of just do whatever the hell they like. And then, two, it's more like Sidney Crosby, where Sidney Crosby makes literally he can see the game in a way that nobody else can. So he like I forget who said it, but there was a quote yesterday that I read where they're like, yeah, he'll come to me at a timeout right before we're about to start the power play. We just got um, denied on the previous power play opportunity. And he comes, hey, when you get the puck in this situation, how about you do X, Y and Z and then A will open up. And the guy's like, how the hell can you even figure the six steps of chess that it takes on an ice hockey rink? When everybody is going around, how can you see that in from somebody else's perspective? Like it makes no sense how they get like they become the the guys that are this skilled become Neo from the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, right. So w- when it comes to stuff like that, it's like it's hard. You can't take that away. When they make it all easier, it's impossible to figure out. Like I don't see a distinction between guys that can elevate their play. For people, sorry, for the other people around them, as compared to they're just that wide okay, open okay. because so much me, right. time let is me, spent on let, them. Right. So let me. All right. All right. Okay. So let me. Um. Let me put it this way. Break I guess, it down. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Let me put it this way. So people that shouldn't be all stars can wind up all stars out of either scenario. Yeah. Right. But the interesting thing is that I actually think that those one-and-done all-stars, um, it, 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 it's, you're right, it's tough to differentiate. Because, like, you've got the Shaquille O'Neal effect as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is, I guess, what I'm saying, is Michael Jordan, to me, had more of a Shaquille O'Neal effect on the team and game around him mm-hmm. than he did a Magic Johnson effect. Right. Magic Johnson clearly made people better around him, whereas Shaquille O'Neal, you had to spend so much time guarding him and worrying about him that you had to get better that or else Nick you wouldn't Anderson be on the team. Made an all, that, that Nick Anderson made an all-star game. And then missed free throws, yes. And then additionally, you've got the situation where you've got LeBron, as a younger man, Mo Williams makes the all-star team. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't when know. Mo I Williams is making the all-star team... Because all he's doing is sitting in the corner hitting threes. I mean, right. I, that, that just, yeah. I feel like you could take anybody off of the street 
and they would score six points a game in the NBA if you put them on the same team with LeBron James. I understand. Yeah. So. I mean, so like this is the other thing. Like, it's, it's very few players in the history of the NBA have been truly complete players. Yeah. Very, very, very few. Um. Russell Westbrook can do everything on a basketball court. And he competes hard. Understand also that, like, I've been watching him since college because he went to UCLA. Right. So I literally, well, I've watched a lot of Russell Westbrook in my life for a long time. And was this player there when he was at UCLA? Say again? Was the current day destroyer of worlds do-everything point guard Russell Westbrook there at UCLA. Was that in his... Was he capable of that at UCLA? No, but you could see his ceiling. That's what I meant. Could you see that player at some point oh. down the road? Oh, God, yeah. Like right. I was like, please come back. Please come back. And then right. me and my father looked at each other and we were like, he's never coming back. Nope. <laughs> like, we were like, you come in. He's, he's, he's not. He's, he's gone. He's already gone. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Uh, and understandably. But, like, even then, you could also see that, like, we had him and Kevin Love and just couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Well, in fairness, we went to three straight Final Fours and lost to some epically talented college basketball. And that just happens in college basketball. Like, Lonzo Ball, how many did he score in that last game? Lonzo or the other kid, Darren Fox? Lonzo Ball. How many did he score that last game? I don't know, maybe 13, 16, not a ton. Right. What always bothers me about the one-and-dones and the projecting guys, it's like, how can you only score 13 points? I think it was like, wasn't it 10 or was it 13? There was like a late three. But um, it's like, how can you only score so few points? against a college team when you're supposed to then immediately go to the NBA and score like 18 points. So I wasn't going to make any excuses until one of my buddies pointed it out. Steve Alford can't coach? Well, no, I make that point readily and loudly (laughs) and to anyone who will listen, whenever anyone will listen. (laughs) Steve Alford, hear me when I say this, Jake. Yeah. But now you can be on Steve Alford, but I before I, before I launch into how much I fucking hate Steve Alford. Yeah. Um, I don't think Lonzo wanted to say anything, and I don't think anyone was supposed to know. I feel pretty confident Lonzo was hurt. Because there wasn't that explosiveness? There was literally no pep in his step. Like, he had no bounce. Did and he like, hurt himself he, against in that uh, Arizona game? Um, a little, yeah, he fucked his thumb up, but right. I think really fucked him up was in the Kent State game. Uh, he got fucking, like, hip checked on his way down from an alley-oop and landed right on his fucking hip. Right. And, like, he played, you know what I mean? Like, he played, he didn't miss a game, but, like, something wasn't right. He didn't go you know down I mean? uh, <laughs> at half court in a heap, uh, down by 30, and had to get escorted off of the court from a tiny little elbow into the back? Right there? Nothing like yeah. that? Something like that. No. No. Right. No LeBron no, James? No. You see that last night? That was fantastic. I, I hate him. 
Why do you hate LeBron so much? We, I think we've talked about this. Uh, easy. I saw him give up again when he was on the Cavs. In his last game with the Cavs, I saw him give up against the Celtics and Rajon Rondo. And I, like, he gave up last night against San Antonio. When things are going really, really poorly, he will look for an excuse. I'm not saying he's a front runner, and I'm actually saying some of his best games have been when his team is playing like ass. But I saw him get out-rebounded when Rajon Rondo put a triple-double up um, in the Eastern Conference Finals. I saw him literally well, give up on the court. You could see it. And you just lose respect I, for a guy. Yes. I will also say that it has taken him longer than I thought it would to lose how to lose with grace. Yeah. Like last night, dude, I'm sorry. Get off the court. If you have a stinger, you've been there, I've been there, stingers suck. You can still get off the court. Yeah. Like he made a massive spectacle about it. Yeah, that I don't like. That he and he literally, went on a, he literally um, went on a Twitter and- rant earlier about how people are soft. Within 24 hours of a Twitter rant. I, ugh, I just, I don't, he, he, there's a lot of for show for him and from him, I should say. And I just don't like it. I don't like people like that. I don't like insincerity. And I think he's one of the most insincere superstars ever. I think that's honestly what it is with me. I, be, I do not believe anything he says. I change the channel when there's a Sprite commercial. I get really annoyed when he tries to tell me to drink Sprite because I like Sprite. And LeBron James also likes Sprite and you know, wants me to drink it. I don't want to drink Sprite whenever I hear LeBron James telling me to drink Sprite. That's how deep my hate of him goes. You were going with Lonzo Ball is what you are talking about. Yeah, Lonzo. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was hurt. I, you know what I mean? Steve Alford is probably the worst coach in America. <laughs> He gets some great recruits because, I mean, when you're, in, when you're at UCLA, you better be no. good at recruiting. No, not you better. You can't not. <laughs> you are not trying to recruit. It is impossible to fail at recruiting at UCLA in basketball. It is impossible. No one, no coach has ever managed to do it at UCLA. <laughs> Well, Why does Steve Landon manage to fuck up recruiting? I was going to say, that was exactly, I was going to go, what about white shoes? Yeah, for the record, I said it the day they hired him. I told everyone in my family, because you know how we all are with UCLA, I said, hey everybody, get ready for Lavin 2.0. And they're like, what, really? We heard such good things. I'm like, nope, sweet 16. That's all you get, just so you know. Isn't it the worst when you presume something bad is going to happen for a team that you like, and it happens every single year? Do you mean all the teams I root for in every sport, Jake? <laughs> Why do you think no, I suggested I it as you, such? I, I don't understand the phenomena you're talking about. <laughs> I don't think that there's any other way for things to go. Right, like you don't understand. The teams that I root for just break my heart. That's all they do. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, thanks for the call. This was real fun. Yeah, I agree, bud. I agree. Let's, uh, I'll, I'm sure I'll see you soon. All right, man. All right, see you later. Bye. Be good. 
Well, I really enjoyed that. I hope you did too. A special thanks to our guest, Levy Chatover, for calling in and really discussing, as you heard, whatever was going through his head. But that will do it for us here at Bagoons Barrage, the State of New England podcast. The Boston Celtics, for the first time this season, are in first place, a half game ahead of the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Boston Celtics, they play later tonight, and they are clinging to that final wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. But with all that being said, things are pretty good here in the state of New England, and that will do it for the latest episode of Bagoons Barrage. As always, folks, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, night, whenever it is you are listening to it. But for now, go New England. My fingerprint done stained.